Hi, I'm Rocco. I'm Tony Genocor. I'm Dean Somerset. Uh, in this interview, we talked about the shoulder and hip blueprint that this guy's made. I'm the shoulder guy, so we talk about shoulder assessment, overhead activity, like how to clean that up and why it's important to screen for that. We also talked about why it may not be necessary for you to deadlift off the floor based on hip anatomy and whether or not it's important for your sport. So thank you guys for having me. Yeah. And it's a great honor and pleasure having you. Um, I know you were, uh, were in third space. Uh, you had an amazing shoulder and hip. Uh, just finished. Just yeah. finished. Yeah, literally 20 minutes ago, I was yeah. just finished. How was it? I think it went really well. Yeah. I mean, third space is a great company as far as developing trainer education. They always treat us amazing. They're fantastic hosts, so couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah. And basically investing in knowledge and basic uh, older trainers. Yeah. And ben Lewis. I mean, he, the I would I would imagine his training title, manager. Training manager. He yep. even said, like, you know, the reason why they bring people like Katina and myself in is to make their trainers better, um, and allow them to make more money because um, they're educating themselves and make them a little bit more of an asset to the company and to themselves. So, um, not to mention, it's a beautiful facility. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's, 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 it certainly it's doesn't suck to walk into a facility that's. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I mean, mean, this is a world class facility. It's, yeah. you know, as far as commercial gyms are concerned. Yeah. So, um it yeah, definitely amazing. makes presenting in a place like this very exciting. Yeah. So it makes the day go by a lot faster too. So it just flies right through. It's awesome. Um, I know people know you, but um, let's small segue. Dean Somerset. Yeah. Tell me more about you, and then. <laughs> yes, we'll, Dean. Tell us. Yeah, tell us yeah. about you. <laughs> tell me about yourself, right? You've got four or five minutes, <laughs> yeah, and I'm here. <laughs> Well, I'm Canadian from Edmonton, Alberta, <laughs> so that's obviously number one thing, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a personal trainer, exercise physiologist. I work in a commercial facility and train pretty much everyone under the sun, either from post-rehab settings to general population to elite athletes. Um, it's all the same anatomy. It's just working on different situations and scenarios. That's awesome. Tony? Tony Genocor. I am also a personal trainer, strength coach. Um, you know, one of the co-founders of Cressy Sports Performance, so a lot of people know me through, through that establishment. Um, you know, started that in 2007, and now I, I, I in what, a year and a half ago, I left and started my own little boutique gym in, in Boston. And I, now I train a lot, very similar to Dean, a lot of general pop, um, but still a, a fair number of athletes as well. I mean, you know, I run my website, do a fair amount of writing, so I own a cat, and now I have a kid. <laughs> so I kept, I kept the cat alive for, for five years. You'll be fine. And, yeah, so I figured... <laughs> Be fine. Um, so yeah, that's 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 the elevator pitch about me. So yep. how did this come together? How did? Because this is an amazing. Uh, I would say back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah. Um, I think Dean must have sent me an email of some sort saying, "Hey, just kind of like I just want to introduce myself." Um, I think that led to you writing a guest post on my website. Yeah. Um, and then we just interacted through about a year, maybe maybe a little less than a year, which is back and emails back and forth. Um, much of my life at my wedding, I was like, I met Eric on the internet, I met Dean on the internet, you I met, met Lisa on the internet, <laughs> Lisa, my, my <laughs> wife on the internet. So uh, you know, and then it ended up me. I came out to Edmonton out 2009, 2010 for. Yeah. A, um, it was myself, Dean, Rick Hasselge, and Jeff Kubos. Whoa. So I went out to Edmonton, did a two-day workshop with them, and then. Gosh, this has got today must be at least 20, 20 plus times that Dean and I have presented together. Probably around there. Yeah. yeah. We decided to come up with the idea of hey, let's teach a workshop together and do something education-wise for continuing education credits for trainers. 
Um, the first iteration that we did, we probably taught that about eight or nine, ten times. Yeah. And then we updated it and came out with a complete shoulder and hip blueprints, which we've now taught 15 yep. times two easily. Years, probably two years now, a little over two years we've yeah. been presenting it. We've taught so. it in the US, in Canada, in uh, London. We've also taught in Prague, Oslo. We filmed it and packaged it together as a DVD product too. Hopefully so. in Greece. Eventually, maybe. Good. Just <laughs> yeah. throwing it out there. If they have a big connection, we might get that. Um, right? not, that would not there. be a hard sell for my wife. Hey, no. hey, they want they want to bring me to Greece. Like that would that would uh, that would be an easy sell. So. I'll, I'll I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, what's the? Uh, you know what? Um, there are some things in as a trainer, a practitioner, that I uh, that it's like really important knowledge-wise that you gain. It's a tool and the hip and shoulder blueprint for me it's like the best investments i've ever done Good. thank you uh and i'm not trying to be uh generous here it's literally uh it's it's amazing and i know if it will also if it can become a book as i was telling you yesterday <laughs> that's going to be like the bomb there we go okay next step we got to write yeah, we so write. guys <laughs> we have that right it's uh, i said that's my idea okay yeah. um we'll what, put it forward and say thank you rocco yeah okay guys <laughs> okay What's the hip and shoulder blueprint? How did that come out? Well, part of it was the fact that Tony and I each have a lot of experience training very different people. Uh, Tony's worked with a lot of overhead athletes in crisis sport performance, so I can't think of very many people in the world who can rival his experience and knowledge when it comes to shoulders in terms of dysfunction, specific cases, all that kind of stuff. He's right up there. For me, working with a lot of clients that have low back and hip issues, and I've got funky hip mobility to begin with, so I'm able to show stuff that's different. So we were able to kind of piggyback off of each other's unique skill sets. I mean, I'm good with shoulders, he's good with hips, but we're both kind of really good at what we're really good at. It made sense to put together a, a product where we could excel at what we deliver as far as content. That's really good. Any, uh, that he was, covered that, it. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah. I think, like he said, like, I have a unique uh, background with overhead athletes and working with, we're a, baseball uh, player with, too, with so. a lot of baseball players. Yeah. Um, you know, and certainly, you know, Eric Cressy, uh, you know, he and I have been good friends for over 10 years. We lived together for two years, went to each other's weddings, started a business together. Um, you know, so a lot of, a lot of, I was pretty lucky in that I had a, a mentor like him to learn from for 10 years. Uh, and being around a lot of smart people like Mike Reinold as well. So just be in that company for eight years of my career um, allowed me to um, gain a lot of knowledge. Um, and now, and I, I feel like I do a pretty good job of relaying it to the masses in a way that's pretty accessible. Um, and Dean is the same way with, with hips, because I mean, both can be pretty intimidating. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's very common. I mean, and I don't think there's any trainer or coach in the industry who would say like, oh, I've never had a, 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 an athlete or client with a shoulder or a hip injury or some, to some capacity. And what makes, so. makes, makes it so different, basically uh, an amazing tool, is that it's applicable. So you got, because we get knowledge from everywhere, Mm -hmm. You gathered it in a way that I watched it like 10 times till now and literally we have a problem. I'm going to go, yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, it was in the blueprint. It was like part three. Sure. Let me go shoot again. Yes. Oh, back pain, hip. Oh, yeah, it was in the fourth module. Let's see. It's like yeah. being back in college and thing. Well, that's yes. great. I mean, we wanted to make a, a resource that was equal parts theory and research and anecdotal uh, experience and experience, but also make it very much hands-on. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, 
You can everyone learns book. differently. Like a lot of people learn watching, listening on onto a screen, but then a lot of people learn with doing it, doing it in practice and, and hands-on. So you know, I'm, it's probably 50-50, 60-40 maybe, like 60 hands-on, 40% theory. Um, but we want to make sure we, we provided a resource that people could watch, listen, and easily apply very quickly. A lot of actionable content that they could easily use to their clients right away. So, um, and that's kind of the, that's the feedback we were hoping for, and that's what people are saying. Yeah, so I feel like I I've, I feel very uh, um, proud that that's that's the response that it's gotten. So. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing tool, and I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna say that again. If it's a book, <laughs> it's gonna be book. People read so, books still. Yeah. Like I don't know the like e-book. <laughs> yeah. No, it's literally it's an amazing tool, and it helped me a lot with clients. Because, you know, sometimes you've got a problem, and I want to s- s- talk about that. Because people think that what we're talking like two days ago in your workshop, uh, stability or mobility. Like, yeah. There are two. We can. Somebody's gonna say like half are gonna say it's mobility. Some are gonna say stability. At the beginning, I'll say stability. That's what I aim for, and sure. then, yeah, you know what I mean, we're both right, but what's our main element for creating healthy individuals? Oh, a lot of it comes lot. down to control. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. It, it, you could have the mobility available within the joint, but if you can't control how to put it into a position, it doesn't matter how much you have available. Structure or function. Exactly. It could be either. So <laughs> if a person doesn't have the structure to allow the range of motion, you can create as much range up to that point as possible, but then you're banging your head against a wall. I mean, you could push further into it, but if I push my head through a wall, something bad is going to happen. Yeah. Right? If I have the mobility to create that range of motion, but I have no control over any range between here and here, but once in a while I get pushed into there with no control, that's where bad things are going to happen as well. So you could have all the mobility in the world, but if you can't control or access it, it doesn't matter. You could be stable in a position, but if you can't access anything larger, again, it doesn't matter. So in terms of mobility or stability, a lot of it just comes down to how do you get into a position and how do you get out of it. You could have great stability to a certain extent. You could have great mobility beyond that. But again, it's a matter of matching up what you have control over versus what you have access to. True. That's uh, people see. Uh, I was in a gym uh, two days, three days ago, and I was there was a trainer there. Like, oh, you need to be like this because I saw that in a video. You need to squat like this, and I'm like, yeah, we're not delicate snowflakes, but mm-hmm. We're all different, yeah. and you can literally. It's one of your articles. Both did one about. You did one about. It's not your hamstrings if you have butt wink. Yeah. It's your structure. We said that before in another article you wrote about. Uh, mm-hmm. You need to assess your client, and that's what I want to say. Is like, how can. Can we assess? Can people can get assessed by themselves? They need to find a professional, right? Well, you can do a self-assessment yeah. to a certain point, but it's very much like saying, okay, can I grab my knee and pull it up through flexion without my hip? or without my spine rolling through flexion, how far into that can I go? If you can go to a certain extent, yeah, you might have stuff like soft tissue work or labrum or a muscle tightness that's getting in the way, but odds are that's just how far your hip can go. So we can say, you know, it's structure, it's function, it's whatever, but if I can't get my hip to go past here in flexion, I can't get my hip to go past here in flexion. If I try to do a movement that requires more flexion than that, where am I going to find it? I'm going to find it from my lower back or I'm going to find it from my ankles or something else. So if I don't have the range of motion to do a movement, regardless of whether it's structure, function, tension, whatever, you got to figure out how to find that range of motion or adjust the exercise. That's a good segue. So, you know, you're tight in a muscle. 
there's a reason that muscle is tight, yeah. right? If you take that, that tightness away, that means that the compensation part is going to start to ache. Maybe. Yeah. It could also be tight because it's fearful or guarding of a situation. Yeah. So you have somebody who walks into the gym for the first time who's never seen the inside of a gym and is scared people are going to judge them. It's not tight because of you know, X, Y, and Z, spinal instability. It's they're on edge and they're just tight. So it could be a situation where they're guarding against the perception of a threat. Or it could be because they're guarding or tight because of instability of their spine and their hip or whatever. Either way, if the body doesn't want to let go of that tension because it thinks something bad might happen to it, or they're just used to being in that certain state. Okay. Um, I concur. <laughs> there you go. Good. If we had an assessment, let's say, for shoulder, yeah. what would be the three main things you would... Oh, well, the shoulder, I mean, uh, it's a very uh, um, vulnerable joint. So we, we sacrificed a lot of stability in order to gain a lot of mobility, especially with the overhead athletes. So when we're talking about throwing a baseball throwing a football, volleyball, you know, getting that excessive retroversion, external rotation. Um, baseball player. We, yeah, yeah, I played baseball. So, I mean, certainly yeah, you, have to take, you have to take in consideration <laughs> the, yeah. the population that you're dealing with. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking at, uh, I think the biggest one that I like to use with athletes, general pop, is the ability to get their, their arm overhead and where they are compensating there. Because it's not like a yes, no, pass, fail yeah, screen. You know, because people will get their arms over their head, but um, the efficiency of the movement and where the movement is coming from is gonna be different. You know, where a lot of people are gonna crank through their lower back, a lot of people are gonna crank through their forward head posture. So what is, um, what do we need to do to make that a little bit cleaner? Um, and again, that's why we screen assess, because it could be, you know, they could just be gunked up in their, in their lat, their terriers, their long head of their, of their triceps and just need some soft tissue work. It could be lack of lumbopelvic control, so they lack, in, they lack stability here, and it's going to definitely affect their ability to get up here. Um, so that's why we assess. You know, we can't just assume um, that, oh, they get their arms overhead, so they're good. But no, they could be, it's the quality of the movement, it's how much effort goes into the movement, is there pain with the movement. Is there asymmetry with the movement? So there's one, is one arm really close to the ear and one arm is way off? Um, so that, so we can't, again, it's not a yes, no screen. It's like, we have to take all those into consideration. And that's, gonna, and that's going to parlay into my programming. You know, okay, if I deem it as something that we need to fix as far as the, the cleanliness or the hygiene of the movement, then that's that's my job as a coach. I love to the of the and, movement. And try to figure out what which tree I need to bark up. Because I mean, certainly um, when it comes to the mobility stability spectrum, uh, I think in the in recent years the the population has been, pro has been programmed to think that lack of range of motion is bad, and that that's not always the case. Depends on the sport. It depends on the sport. Yeah. It depends on the movement. But also depends if on the individual. If yeah. there is yeah. a lack of range of motion, that it's it's a mobility restriction, and we have to like you know, jam and pull and, and crank and, and smash and, you know, there's, a time, a, there's a time and place for that, but a lot of times it is a, a, a stability issue. Um, and Especially. People, and it's like we've been prone to think we need to stretch and yank and stretch and yank, um, and rarely is that ever the answer <laughs> for most people. Um, it is like building stability in the right areas and building good stiffness in the right areas. Um, and, and then, then also just said, getting strong build that well. range of motion so you can be of strong course, in that. Of course, yeah. and that's where the strength and conditioning component comes from, or comes into the pictures. You know, we need to, uh, you know, fix the movement, but then like 
like cement it down with, with strength training. I mean, that's, that's a term that a lot of coaches use, um, but it is, it is very true. You know How mean? about the hip? Very similar. I mean, if you have the hip, typically it's got many degrees of range of motion to it. It could have internal, external, abduction, adduction, flexion, extension. How do most people train the hip? Through flexion and extension. Yeah. So you're essentially taking this ball and socket three-dimensional joint and training it like an elbow. So if you want your hip to function like an elbow, yeah, keep training it sagittal plane, straight up and down. But if you want your hip to function like a hip, you have to take it out of that flex, uh, fixed flexion extension pattern and get it doing all sorts of different stuff. So today when we were running through a lot of the practical stuff, a lot of it focused on can you control internal and external rotation at your hip? Can you do it without spine motion compensation? Can you do hip flexion without spine flexion? And how much can you utilize? At a certain point, you're going to run out of range of motion because bone contacts bone and you just can't push any further than that. That's my face into the wall. And feel, yeah. So if I get to here and that's all I have, I better be able to get back there as much as I can without jamming bone into bone repeatedly. But you have to understand where your range of motion works, where it doesn't work, and where you might be able to see improvements based on muscle that doesn't fire into that range. Maybe it doesn't control the pattern into that range. Or maybe you just never get there. And you have novelty of that position. That can affect your lower back because I think that's, we sit too much. I know we say it like all the time. People sit, yes, um, but it, then you, you're sitting 10, 12 hours and then you're deciding to go train, yeah. but in the wrong way. So you're creating more problems. Yeah. So exercise is medicine, but if it's prescribed by a professional, yeah. right? And part of it also comes down to how are you moving? So if I don't have the motion coming from my hips, where am I going to steal it from? It's fine. So that could be flexion or extension or rotation. rotation. So if my hip, which is a large phasic muscle group, and it's designed to produce big force, if it's not doing that, and it tries to make my spine, which is a tonic uh, phasic or a tonic group, try to actually produce a phasic force, it's not really going to work all that well. The, the intervertebral discs don't really have that much range of motion available to them to begin with, like a couple of degrees here and there. So to make my L4-5 move like my pelvis, bad stuff is going to happen. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. I'll drop a bomb now. CrossFit. Mm -hmm. um, slide out of this conversation. <laughs> it's like we talking Lock politics. Lock the door. Lock the door. <laughs> um, I'm not going to talk about CrossFit as uh, just going to say the, the word shoulder instability. Uh-huh. Kip. Uh-huh. It's going to go bad. <laughs> yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> I, didn't, I, just, I subconsciously made that noise. Yeah. That's going to uh, happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. Um, yeah, because I mean, going back to the whole shoulder flexion, ability to access that motion, um, in the general population, like, not many people can do that well. And that is my litmus test for overhead activity. Like, if yep. they are unable to do that without any compensation, or with, if they have a lot of compensation, they probably shouldn't be doing a lot of things overhead, whether it's Olympic lifting, um, kipping, um, and just, like, the joint. And I understand, like, the kipping pull-up is a different... It's, a, it's an entirely different exercise altogether from a strict pull-up and chin-up. True. I get that. There's technique. There's a different technique in both. It's like, it's like arguing front squat, back squat. They're both a squat, but they're both different. Um, so I understand that a kipping pull-up and chin-up is uh, its own exercise with its own set of uh, cues and, and ways of doing it. Um, but but me personally, if I have to look at the cost-benefit of an exercise... You know, um, there's a lot of cost to it as opposed to a lot of benefit. So, um, you know, I look at one's ability to get their arms over their head one, and then the joint distraction forces in the shoulder, in the lower back. Um, Extension, flexion just, over just, time. Just not a, yeah. a huge fan. Neither you know, I, I've got, I used, like, 
five, six years ago, I was a guy who was like, oh, it's cheating, why don't you just do strict chin-up? Um, it's a separate movement. I mean, certainly, but to CrossFit's credit, like I know there are a lot of boxes and coaches that do uh, uh, advocate or nudge people into more, we're going to learn how to do a strict chin-up and pull-up first, and then maybe down the road we're going to start doing kipping. So they are kind of earning the right. Um, but, and, I, and, I, and as a coach, like I don't like to be the guy that's like, that exercise is always bad. Like leg press or upright rows or dips or kipping pull-ups. I mean, they is we it can make directly? we can make a case for all of them being sure. being dangerous, and we can make a case for them. There's a there's a time and place for all of them. So, um, but me personally, like I'm not I'm not a fan. Like I don't I don't I've never done them personally, uh, and I've never put them into a program. And my clients are fine. Um, you know, I doubt if I were a CrossFit owner that I would do it either. But um, you know, it's, it goes down. to to uh, bad coaching, I uh, think, to assess the individual? I certainly think there's, there's yes, I mean, there's, uh, assessment's important, <laughs> and scaling the movements are important. Because yeah. you got to have a kyphotic uh, uh, client, athlete, and you expect him to do a uh, snatch, it's going to go bad. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So you can try and find other progressions to do. I don't know what's your take on... Well, part, one of the things to understand is that CrossFit's a competition, first off. Sure. So, in order to compete, they have to do the skills. So if you go into a regionals or something like that and they say, okay, we're going to do kipping pull-ups, you got to do 60 reps. doesn't matter if you have the mobility or not. You have to do the reps in order to reps. qualify, right? So if you don't have the mobility for it, it doesn't matter. If you haven't trained for it, it doesn't matter. If your coach has said, well, this is a safer movement, it doesn't matter. So if you want to do well in the competition, you have to develop the aptitude whether you have the mobility for it or not. You could say that for any sport, if they didn't screen it, it didn't go well. I mean, think about it in Canada, hockey players, pretty much anyone from the time they're four, they're put on skates. Yeah. How many of them have the hip anatomy to play hockey? True. Like, they don't screen for that kind of stuff because it doesn't happen. It's like, oh, your groin hurts? Get back out on the ice. Think about football players. How many of them have the shoulders to handle tackles? We don't know. What about the spines? We don't know. Gymnastics is one of the only sports where they screen out kids, and it's based on can you actually be flexible? And it's like, okay, you can put your leg over your head? Cool, you can play gymnastics. You can't bring your leg up past here? Well, guess what? Go play football, right? Mm -hmm. So in many ways, we can't necessarily screen people effectively from the sports they want to play because it's just put them into sport and let's see what happens. So CrossFit as a sport and as a competition, to screen people out of it and to discourage people from joining into it, that, that kind of goes against what CrossFit is about, which I completely understand. Is there an injury risk to it? Absolutely. Is there an injury risk to football or to baseball or to soccer or to hockey? Absolutely. But that, you're going to get that with any sport in any situation. Because, in general population, yeah. uh, it's the same thing, mm -hmm. right? They might go and play for recreational. Yeah. Just How many beer league uh, sports teams oh are guys God. going out and getting injured every single weekend, and then they go and they rest Monday to Friday, and then they go back out and get injured on the weekend again? Sure. We're not screening those guys out. They're doing it because they love to play. So we can make the argument to say, yeah, in order to do it properly, you should screen the individual, progress the exercise, you should do this, that, and the other thing. But when else do we do that? Right? What other sport, from the time that somebody starts into it to the time that they're done, do we get them to be screened for the sport itself? It rarely ever happens. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And I know it has a bad, uh, bad rap. I used to, and I still do, coach uh, CrossFit, but the things I'm trying to put in there is knowledge, and basically I use a lot of your references from your shoulder and hip uh, blueprint mm -hmm. in there. So if I see someone that has, it's not stable, it doesn't have the range of motion, yeah. I'm like, look, you're going to do this, you're mm -hmm. going to do a progression, you don't have to push, and steadily, steadily, we're going to use that when we're ready. 
Okay, so yeah. it's... And yeah. also, how serious are they about competing versus yeah, just training, true. right? Yeah. So if they're like, I have to compete in three weeks, okay, we got to change up what your training program is, versus if they're like, I just want to learn and get better. That's an entirely different ball of wax, right? Somebody wants to learn and get better, yeah, we can screen them, we can progress them, we can use appropriate regressions. Someone's like, I'm competing this Thursday. Different game, right? Yeah. So we got to look at that entirely differently. And we can grit through it. Like, I mean, for yeah. regionals, like with kipping pull-ups, like if, if they find, and I, and I don't even think like in the regionals that they're used that often that, that anymore, but Maybe if they, they were, were not, yeah. like well, people can grit through it for a month or two and yeah. say, I just got to be able to do this for, and then yeah, whatever, I'm like, and then your job as the coach is to prepare them for it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm cool with that. So, um, but long-term, I'm still, still not a fan. Yeah, I mean, it's not something, no, no. It's not something where I'm going to be like, yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, let's but do it. Yeah. Similarly, if I had a client with a retroverted hip and limited hip flexion, and they said, I want to compete in a powerlifting meet, well, if they go to what their normal hip depth is, they're going to be high, and they're going to get red lights. So I got to get them ready to get down into that hole one way or another. So that might involve lumbar flexion to get down in that position if they want to compete and actually get white lights on the platform. Because if they get red lights every time, it doesn't matter if it was a moral victory. True, because you know, no, it's sport. Yeah, they yeah. want to be able to get in there and do it. And it's a good segue for the deadlift, because you both say if you're not an athlete, you don't have to deadlift on the floor. No, no. Yes. No. No. no, no, no. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Jesus. <laughs> um, can we just go through that? Well, there's two athletes who have to pull a weight off the floor. Yeah. Power lifters and Olympic lifters. True. Every other sport it's not a requisite that they have to pull that weight off the floor. In many ways, it's an ego thing, or in many ways, as a team, it's like, we did this, so now you have to do it. If the person's seven feet tall or five feet tall, the weight is the same height off of the floor relative. So, or sorry, the, same is the, same, the weight is the same absolute height off the floor. That seven foot tall guy has to bend down so much further to grab the bar well, compared fine. to the five foot tall guy. If you have a basketball team with centers and guards and they're put on the same weight, one's gonna be great and one's gonna suffer. Sure. So it's a matter of, okay, well, what do you do to adapt the program for the individual who's in front of you? If you have somebody who doesn't have the hip structure to get down into that deep hip flexion position, what do you do? You have somebody who's very tall or a very wide stance or their femur length is greater than 27% of their total height, which makes them a long femured person who they are going to have trouble getting in front of the bar without something Lumbar. happening. Right? So it just comes down to a matter of how are you adapting the program? Maybe it means you raise the height up four or six inches, maybe a foot, maybe you don't deadlift whatsoever. It's a matter of what is the person like in front of you and do they need to do that exercise the way that you set it up or can you adapt it and make it something that's beneficial for them? It's great, but you, do they need to do it? That's, that's yeah. really important. Yeah. I mean, I can't disagree with anything you said. Um, I think... Damn uh, right you can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can speak to my own experience that when I was at Cressy Sports Performance, almost everyone that walked through the doors started with a trap bar deadlift. Yeah. Um, even now, everyone that I train usually always starts with a very rarely does somebody walk in on yeah. day one yeah. uh, and is and is using a straight bar and is then conventional deadlifting because to me that's like top tier advanced deadlifting like trap bar. I want to build success with people and I want to set them up for the long game. So if that means we have to start with the kettlebell deadlift to learn a proper hip hinge um, and then maybe progress to a trap bar and, and, and use more spine friendly ways of of deadlifting. Uh, then I'm going to use that. And then if they, at some point they would like to do a straight bar deadlift, you know, I'm, not, I'm not just like vomiting onto them because I like to do it, uh, then cool, I'm gonna, we're going to do that. But if I deem there's a risk to it, I, it's my job to be like, eh, you know, 
we know that you're gonna, based off your anatomy, you're gonna lose range of motion and you're gonna, you're gonna tuck under, we don't wanna do that. We're just gonna stick with a trap bar, that's your home base, and we're just gonna make you savage on that. And then usually if I sell it that way, um, very, very rarely am I gonna get any pushback. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't, my, I feel like I keep my ego in check enough where I, I don't feel like it's a demerit point against me as a coach because I have my clients trap bar deadlift. Because you put your client there and that bias because you yeah. like something, it's what's best for them. Yeah, they're really getting important. all the benefit of the deadlift. I mean, they're, are they not training their posterior chain and hamstrings and glutes and upper back while doing a trap See, bar deadlift? It's an amazing exercise. Of course. And they, they do it every day. And they're, they're, it's a deadlift. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit squatty, but uh, okay, we're making their quads stronger too. Like, <laughs> like who yep. cares? Um, and that's another thing too is like people, and, and, you know, when I, when I get pushed back from medical professionals like physical therapists or physios or chiropractors who are like deadlifting is so dangerous why do you have your clients deadlift i think in many of their minds they they're they're assuming it's a heavy barbell off the floor and that's not it could just be a, a 20 kg kettlebell that's a deadlift it's a hip hinge that come on if they go hinge. to the groceries and have to exactly. get in their door they're going to put it down open the door do a deadlift and come in exactly it's like it's something they do every day yeah well, and I mean, part of it's I also going to come down to, they'll hear the side of the story of, oh, I injured myself when I was deadlifting. Yeah, which is, Which, yeah. how are you deadlifting? True, it's like a knife. You can yeah. cut your finger, you can cut bread. Yeah. It depends how you use it. So stop using knives. Yeah. Or eat bread. <laughs> yeah, or be gluten-free. <laughs> oh my, again? That's why we got to be, be gluten-free, because people were cutting their hands with the knives, right? <laughs> cut. <laughs> we didn't talk about vegan, so it's, it's fine. Yeah. Um... Strength is money in the bank. Yes, no? Money in the bank? That's why um, I said about strength. I think, yeah, if, if being weak kind of sucks. So I think yeah. the more money you have, yeah, and being poor kind of sucks. So, yeah, yeah. I Brett agree. Contreras had a really great yeah. quote. He said, well, you know, if being strong, if you think being strong is hard, try being weak. weak. Being weak is hard. People are afraid to start training with resistance, with weight, especially women. It has yeah. changed now. Thank God, yeah. Brett. And, yeah. um, and, and now, because of Brett, uh, um, you know, the new biceps are glutes. Yeah. Everybody does it. Yeah. Um, but people are afraid for heavy lifting, resistance training. Uh, women were used to say, oh, I'm going to get big. Um, but if you're strong, you can get away with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but also, if you add a pound of muscle to your frame, it doesn't change the way you look. And for a lot of the people that are worried about gaining muscle, I mean, we had a room full of women who were almost models today. In our Where was course, yeah, you were late. But <laughs> all of them train, and all of them train relatively heavy, and yeah. they don't look bulky. So for women to actually gain muscle, there are going to be those women that do have genetics where they can put a little bit more on their shoulders or their arms. But you ask any figure competitor or bodybuilder or physique athlete how easy it is for them to gain muscle. Working out six days a week, focused on hard hypertrophy workouts and nutrition up the yin yang, and they'll say they might gain a pound in a year or maybe two pounds in a year. So for women to say, you know, oh, I'm scared of lifting heavy, you don't really have to scare too much about that because in order to gain muscle, it's a process. And if you're saying, oh, I bulked up when I was lifting weight, I'm thinking, well, was it muscle or was it extra water weight or was it the caloric surplus was a lot more than what it should be and you gained more than just muscle. Plus from the metabolic effects, yeah. especially if you gain muscle and for women and for men, which is like, that's what we want. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, do I look big here or because? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if, we, if we start creating a pyramid, mm -hmm. what would be the base when you start training client? 
either a general population athlete, what's going to be the, like Eric Holmes said, it's adherence, but I want you guys just. I would think the number one would be whatever their goal is. Good. So how valuable is that goal to them and what does it mean to them? So if I have somebody who's a competitive athlete and that is their job, their goal set is going to be entirely different than somebody who comes in and says, yeah, I kind of want to lose 10 kg. So the person who's, that's their job, they're going to adhere to the workout much more consistently than the person who's kind of wishy-washy about it. How are they going to approach that goal is another thing. Do they need nutritional counseling, psychological counseling, medical management for injuries? Do they just need someone to watch them do a back squat once in a while? Everything's going to be a little bit different. But no matter what type of training program you have, their goal has to take paramount. Mm -hmm. Like Dan John said, the goal is the goal. Yeah, mm -hmm. true. Yeah. I can't disagree with that. I, I love Eric Helms' quote. I've, I've, I've been a big fan of that one. Um, and to, to mirror his sediment, uh, one quote that I use when I speak with my wife, Lisa, um, we do a couple of speaking engagements together. And she's a psychologist, so she speaks more of the, the mindset side of the equation. Um, I say, because inevitably, like it even happened today in our workshop. Like we, we, we do two days of this workshop, and I'm like, okay, are there any questions? And of course there are questions. And always, so how many sets and reps should I do with the this exercise or that exercise? And I'm going to say your thing. And I'm then, not. I'm not counting reps. I'm coaching. Well, that, that that's true. I, I like. I'm not. But like, really, the bigger uh, to go to the adherence equation is like the goal for your client as a coach. You as a coach should be three times fifty-two. So you get your client into the gym three days a week, fifty-two weeks out of the year. That that's great. adherence. Um, and some good things are going to happen, and then you know, and then that, that a lot of stuff goes into that, like building confidence and autonomy, and confidence in your client, and showing them success, uh, showing that they can train around an injury, um, working on their movement quality, um, you know, like making sure that they're they're successful with their training, so they see they can see that growth. Um, that's where that that adherence and three times fifty two uh, number. Is going to come that. into play. Yeah, go ahead, use it. Mm -hmm. I stole it from somebody, so I don't. I forget who. But well, it's it's, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's amazing. And um, what you said about being positive, you both say it. Um, you know, we focus too much. Oh, you've got anterior head carriage. Oh, you know, you slouch all day. They they get out and they're like, shit. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. And that's not what we're supposed to do. No. Mm -hmm. um, what's going to be your take on that? Like. I mean, I, I spend a lot of my day, like when I talk shoulder assessment with the, with my, with the attendees, uh, that's kind of the message I tell them. Like, you got to be careful with your, with your verbiage, when, especially when you're trying to make a, a day one, day two impression on the new client. Uh, you don't really want to make out of the gate be like, well, you got forward head posture, your shoulders are slouched forward, you know, we got to fix that, you're, you're really bad at doing this. Um, I'm dying. I think you got to, yeah, the, the person's going to leave the assessment and be like, how am I able to walk, like, yeah. how, <laughs> let alone train. Um, so I think we got to be careful as, as fitness professionals uh, with the verbiage we use with, our, with uh, our clients. Certainly if there's pain and you feel like there is a movement dysfunction or a red flag, you know, we have to address that and have a conversation. But uh, certainly the goal of an assessment shouldn't be to point out every little thing that's wrong. Um, and then the client feels like, oh my God, uh, what's wrong with like, you? Oh man, like, I don't. I just don't think that's a it's a great precedent to start a relationship with. With a, no. I usually client. frame it as like entirely positive for everything. Mm -hmm. So if I have an assessment with the client, it'll be like, you did really well with all this stuff. You did fantastic. Now here's a couple of ways that we can make you even more awesome. So it's not necessarily like, oh, you suck. You're terrible. It's like here's opportunity. 
So if I have a client who doesn't have hip rotation, it's like, imagine how much more awesome things are going to be when, when you have, you have this new hip yeah. rotation to do all these cool new exercises to deadlift your face off and squat your butt off. If we have this new rotation, things are going to open up for you and be really awesome. So instead of it being like, oh, well, you have this and you're dying and you're Ticking tuberculosis, boxes. you know, it's more like, hey, here's room for improvement. Let's go have fun. That's pretty important. Yeah. What would going to be your, uh, I know you're tired and I'm going to cut this short. Um, the, the three elements that made Dean and the three elements that made Tony today. <laughs> That's a big question. So what um, makes us? What we makes should... us? Yeah. I'm about 50% caffeine and <laughs> probably about 20% cat memes. He doesn't um, like coffee, you know that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I travel say... with him a lot. <laughs> yeah, you... yeah, Spikes, but... He knows a lot of secrets about me. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be for when the cameras are off. Okay. <laughs> Keep on yeah, recording. Yeah, I... Uh, man, that is, that's a deep question. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a deep know, person. I, I, I'm pretty, no I'm pretty steadfast on just being, uh, having a, a large dose of integrity. Um, you know, I feel, I, I try to be a guy that's, that stays humble, that I, I, don't, I don't know all the answers. Like, even, even when I'm presenting, I'm like, hey, th these are just what's worked for me. I'm not saying you have to do this or you're wrong because you do that and I'm the one that's right because I'm the one teaching. Uh, I, I, you know, and I, I definitely try to practice what I preach. Um, you know, and I, I just, I just try to be as, as um, high on that integrity, integrity ladder as I can be. Um, I feel like I do a pretty good job of, of doing that. But um, yeah, that's. I mean, that'd be my one big one. I, I have to think about another two. And I know it's not going to be fair to uh, <laughs> some people that literally made you, helped you. Plenty of people. Like I, I've already mentioned, Eric. Like I mean, he obviously played a big role in, in uh, my my development as a, in my career. Um, certainly, I think we all have mentors like Mike Robertson and Dan John, uh, Dean. Like I, I, every time I speak with him, I learn something. Um, certainly, got to give my wife credit, you know, for having just being a very support. I think Dean would speak about Lindsay the same way. Like having having a supportive spouse that. Hey, hey, babe! I'm gonna go to London for four days with, yeah. when you when you have a four month old at home. Like that takes a pretty darn like Supportive legitimate wife, spouse yeah. to be like, okay, you know, like have a good time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and certainly she's the one that that encouraged me uh, or stood behind me when I decided to leave Cressy's sports performance because that was a pretty intimidating thing to do. Um, so I got to get a lot of credit Rest. to her. So, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, in terms of people that have influenced me, it's been everyone who I've had a chance to meet. And there's some big names in there like Tony, Eric, Stu McGill, yourself to an extent as well. Um, plus a lot of people who people don't know because they don't have an online presence, but people who I've worked with in clinical settings who've shown me stuff and been gracious with their time and their energy. People like Mary Wood, um, Craig Ferguson, um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember right now, but there's a lot of people that I've worked with over the years who They've just been gracious with their time and their energy, showing me stuff without needing to or without expecting anything in return that have allowed me to do what I do now. And that's a true value of knowledge. Knowledge is power when it's spread, right? Yeah, sure. Like whenever yeah. I need you guys, we first met, basically. Yeah. We were, we were talking about, uh, online for about a couple of years, but whenever I needed something, you were you were there. And that's, uh, that's what knowledge is about. Forward, this, part of, this part of being, I, I, I really, I have a hard time feeling why we, like going back to, uh, people have to be compensated for their time all the time. Like, I understand that's an important thing. Like, we want to be compensated for our time, but um, paying it forward mm -hmm. is, is very important, too. I forget the, the, I think it was Adam Grant wrote a book called Give and Take. 
um, which I read about a year or two ago that really resonated with me. Like basically just saying people who tend to be givers uh, tend to be more successful because um, people pay it forward back. So yeah, um, true. You know, I think that's, a, that's an important characteristic that would behoove any fitness professional to, to yeah. adopt. Well, one thing to think about is that you and I write a free blog, so we've given out a lot oh of information. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's lead to us to teach at places yeah. like Third Space True. where they're paying us pretty well for yeah. our time. So we've Spot given on. out, and they've given back as a result. I mean, Tony's talked about people who come in to shadow him and expect to pay. Yeah. And he's like, no, just bring me donuts. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I, there's an open-door policy. People want to come in and, wa and watch me coach. and I mean, first of all, it's an honor. Like, yeah. cool. Like, you want to come in and hang out with me for a couple hours as I coach, it's fine with me. Yeah. Um, I, don't expect, I don't expect you to pay me. I mean, it's cool that you offer, um, but I'm, I don't have any trade secrets that I need to, yeah. to si have Hi. you sign off on. Like, you're more than welcome to come in. Yeah, in the same way. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've had trainers come in and shadow. And in terms of compensation, it's like, well, the, the client's paying for that time. If I have somebody shadowing paying for that time too, I have to give them attention that takes away from the, the client who's been paying for the time. So it's like, well, how do I divulge my time in that way or my attention that way to respect both of their investments? So if the client's paying for time, the client's paying for that time, someone wants to shadow, I can't accept payment from them because I'm not going to be giving them any attention or investment of energy or anything like that's that legit, yeah. because that's coming from the client. That's true. So. It just means that it's a better value for the client. Plus, they see somebody watching how they're trained. They think, oh, well, this is pretty cool. And if I'm spending all my time with the person who's shadowing and not devoting it to the person who I'm actually training, that's going to look pretty shady. That's really good. What are the plans from now on? Where will people can find you? Well, uh, home any base, seminars, workshops? Yeah, home base for me is my website. So my name, TonyGeneralCore.com. So that's my blog. That's links to all my articles. We're going to put all the links podcast. under. Yep. Um, Dean and I, I think both, on both our websites keep an itinerary of speaking engagements. So, yep. um, you know, I'm in Toronto next weekend with my wife doing our awesome. Strong Body, Strong Mind workshop. Dean and I have, I think, two more of these planned later this year in Orlando. Yep. And we're going to get one going in Boston. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, I know Dean has a, a few speaking engagements outside of that yeah too, i've got so. one in oslo and then one in calgary whoa yeah back home <laughs> big travel <laughs> <laughs> now we're in 40 minutes guys thank you so much hours. yeah it was great yeah. so much for your time i know mm -hmm. you're tired uh it's a it's an honor and a pleasure hopefully you're not going to do the canadian handshake the can you like that what's one a canadian yeah. handshake uh <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a video clip of the south park game where they're giving each other what's called the canadian handshake uh, and they're literally just farting on each other oh okay so yeah i can I, give you one if you want gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta i gotta i gotta get more with the pop culture like I well gotta, it's funny when uh, he had Stu mcgill on Stu's like a little dose of canadian for you and he's giving him a really strong handshake and i was like i'll give you a canadian handshake when i see you so i sent <laughs> him like, a video okay. clip for south park and he was like ah <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much for your yes, time. Yes, thank you, Rocco. Okay. I appreciate it's a, it. It's a thank real you. pleasure. I'm going to put all the links, and I'm going to put the shoulder and hip uh, blueprint under it because literally cool. it's the best tool I've ever had. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you. And Very hope kind to see you again. Say. Thank and you. And you know that this guy was the first interview I had on my uh, website. Nice. Were well, you really? Yeah. All right. I didn't know that. All right. Yeah. yeah it's um, he on was, the Bros. Do Science one. On the Bros. Yeah. Science. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he. We had a lecture, and I hope we have you. Uh, the college that I'm studying in, yeah. ACC, and he was uh, the first uh, guy there that literally uh, introduced how we can function, all about exercise, what we need, the scope of practice, yep. and mm -hmm. was, yeah, people loved it, loved really good feedback. Yeah. Okay.
I'm glad to have been the first, and I'm glad the technology worked out. Usually, if it's the first, everyone's scrambling to try to figure you out. You don't want to know what do. happened in the background. Oh, Everything no, no, no. was fried, but <laughs> <laughs> you know that. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, you bet. Cool. Yeah. Take care, man.